Ladies and gentlemen, please settle down. Tonight's performance will include misleading marketing, bad Cosby impressions, and Shakespearean spoilers as we examine the crisis of bad audiences here on Created Things. Greetings and welcome to Created Things, the only arts podcast that is perpetually and permanently postured as an angry mob against the angry mob. I'm artist and psychotherapist Jacob Flores Popchick, and with me is my good and excellent friend, medievalist, Catholic priest, weird guy, mm-hmm. Father Gabriel Toretta. How are you doing, my dude? Yeah, I'm doing most of those full time, actually, at this point. Yeah, pretty, pretty I mean, full time. Yeah. 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 And and you've brought them together in a really cohesive identity, which I, I find impressive. I feel like, you know, I have a sort of a, I feel like my personal vibe is like Asian fusion cuisine. You know, we're just going to take a bunch of things that don't belong together and not going to respect their sources. And then we're going to call that life. <laughs> but it, but it tastes pretty good. You know, but so you know, like as long, as long as you don't know what sushi tastes like, it tastes good. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you don't like uh like ahi sushi tacos with with uh, drowning in mayonnaise like drowning mayonnaise and bok choy and yeah that seems weirdly everything bagel seasoning also yeah i mean you gotta have everything bagel seasoning otherwise you know like what what i'd probably also put some pumpkin spice on top of that just because like Otherwise, oh, how, how are you going to know that like some white people funded this? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I respect that. Well, I will say I've been actually looking into some of that stuff because I'm having a this is very so. So talk about your weirdness and your brand. Talk about mine. I'm having a SpongeBob themed dinner party this weekend. Mm, yeah, that doesn't spread uh, for for which I am creating as close to cartoon accurate Krabby Patties as I possibly can. Um, but according this is the to the food that they eat on SpongeBob the the food Krabby Patties are like okay, the, the, the burger that make everybody go crazy. Yeah, you don't you don't watch SpongeBob apparently. Okay, I've, yeah, I've, Krabby no, Patties. I've never seen it. Yeah. Oh my god, Krabby Patties are like SpongeBob works at a like a fry cook fast food place, and Krabby Patties are like crack for all the people in the town. And there's the, the most delicious little burger in the world. Um, it's one of those things when you watch it as a kid. Like I think there are lots of those things where you watch a food in a in a show or you see it in a book, and you go, "That must taste like the best thing in the world." Like I remember, um, like Frog and Toad. Oh yeah, the book Frog and Toad. They mm-hmm. have like that chocolate ice cream, and it just looks better than any chocolate ice cream I've ever had in my whole life. You know, it yeah. just looks so good. And Krabby Patties are that for burgers, and so I'm looking trying to recreate that but the the creator of that show um was a vegan and and you know may he rest in peace also claimed that the krabby patty itself was entirely vegan (laughs) because fish fish would not eat beef or each other so seems unfair uh yeah so i'm trying to create a krabby patty like a burger not only vegan but using a lot of seaweed components and i found this really amazing alaskan place that makes uh pickles like dill pickles out of uh, alaskan bullwhip kelp so i'm really excited about that okay i accept that i accept that yeah i mean my own little fusion thing yeah don't i mean that's how this is this is creative it's fun that's that's really delightful um i'm always up for trying new kinds of pickles no limit there um you are a pickle boy 
In another life, you'd be a pickle influencer. I am just, I am, I am already a pickle influencer because I influence pickles by eating them. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I, I mean, there's always, you're always like, there's always the danger when you think you don't have like foods that you were really into, like that you saw or read about or, or whatever as a kid that seemed like, because of course they're just going to seem like the very best. Um, there's always like the Turkish delight problem. Which, um, you know, in, in yeah. Lion, the Wish in the Wardrobe, right? Like, I'd never heard of Turkish Delight. And, like, you know, it's so delicious that it makes Edmund sell his family to the devil, you know? Like, it's so right. delicious, right? So, you think, like, oh, this is incredible. I don't even know what it's like. It's not – because he does – because Lewis doesn't even describe it, which, which like, has this incredible force. I mean, of course, he doesn't describe it because it would have been normal that people would have known what it was. But, you know, if you're, like, a – if you're, like, an American kid growing up in the 80s, you don't know what it is and the internet doesn't exist yet, right. so you can't look yeah. it up. Um, and, uh, and so it just has this like intensity of sort of like wonder and marveling. You think this just must be the most amazing thing on the planet. And then like when I was finally an adult and walked past it, I just happened to walk past a display of like a store just like selling Turkish delight. And I didn't even have to sell anybody to the devil to buy it. Um, and then like I bought it and I was so excited. I tore into it. I ate it. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It kind of tastes like rose water. <laughs> but it kind of makes you it's just choke. a gummy yeah it's, it's like essentially a gummy, a but gummy. it's kind of covered in it's like tastes like rose water which is not very appealing and then it kind of tastes I like actually dust. really i will say i actually really like turkish delight and even i don't think that it matches the narnia kind of explanation including the the jim henson wonderworks movie adaptations which are the only good versions screw the terrible disney versions um where Angelica Houston is the white witch, like brings it this like silver, yeah, it's the silver thing, and yeah, it, and it like lets off like steam, exactly, it's almost, like erotic, almost, yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. And you beautiful. also don't really see what they are, right? Like, because like no, this is but a, that's you part see of what the force in, of it. You're like, like this must be yeah. incredible, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I hope your Krabby Patties live up to the reputation of um, Jim Henson's version of the Turkish Delight. I wish you could. You I know? wish you could be there. Since you're such a fan of both fusion and weird pickles, I, I feel like you'd be a really good judge. You know, just and, a, and just a totally unbiased one because, because you've never seen SpongeBob. I've never seen SpongeBob. Yeah, just well, you so know, I'll just, just mail you I one in just Austria. Pack, pack one up into a into a box, put it on a slow boat to China. Eventually, it'll find its way to, to to Austria, and then I'll eat it and you know die of food poisoning. It'll be great. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, since it's all plant based, you might actually not. You it'll might be, be able to eat it. Actually, be fine. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be fine. Yeah. You can you can eat Impossible Burger raw, right? Anyway, um, that is that amount of nothing because I can't even think of a good transition. Wow, you can't even force a transition like I force a transition. I that reminds I me of. Well, see, normally we record these things pretty late at night for me, which is when my brain is most kooky. Mm. And this episode we're recording kind of earlier in the morning for me, which is when I'm still piecing my brain together. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't I can't think of my feet quite the same way. Sad. With with transitions. But maybe you can give us one. Either way, this is kind of a different episode for us. Because we talk. So we often talk about like art motifs uh, and, and different art practices, maybe. But. I think kind of central, though never quite explicitly said to a lot of our conversations, is the idea of connoisseurship, right? The idea of how to appreciate art. I mean, that's sort of the unspoken reason why we're doing the podcast is is appreciating different things that are overlooked in art, right? Um, and sometimes there be there 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 are these things that happen 
in the culture that have to do with connoisseurship and the arts that even we cannot ignore. And one of those things I feel has been happening recently. Uh, and, and it's something that, that people have sort of coined kind of a, an audience crisis. And that is that at least as the public narrative has been going post pandemic audiences in in theater specifically. I mean, there's definitely a lot of this in, in movies, in movie theaters, um, but particularly in traditional theater settings, whether that's opera, um, musical theater, stage plays, philharmonic performances, people have become so rowdy that it is actually becoming a, a point of international discussion among uh, the kind of people who own theaters, the kinds of like producers who put on these productions in the first place in a quite kind of pearl clutching way about what are we going to do about this audience crisis, about the fact that audiences are becoming so rowdy that the art itself seemingly cannot coexist with their reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that seems right up our alley, even if it's not exactly the kind of thing we talk about. Um, and there's some pretty weird examples of this that that I've been looking at. But I wonder if you I mean, because you are actually in in Europe and, and I know you recently went to the UK and visited the Globe Theater. And and a lot of the stories I've been looking at are coming out of the UK specifically. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like a lot of the craziest ones are happening there. Is this something that you've encountered in any of the theatrical experiences you've had recently or is this something you've been aware of at all no i mean not certainly not to that extent you know i didn't actually go to any performances when i was in england uh, i didn't unfortunately have oh, the okay. time uh so i would sort of toured around the, the globe but uh but didn't uh didn't go to a performance there um but uh right i mean certainly certainly contemporary english culture uh like to some extent more than contemporary american culture certainly from the europe from like a continental european perspective um the sort of Western culture that has the sort of worst reputation for rowdy, uh, out of control, bad behavior is uh, England, actually, more than more than America by a pretty big margin, um, which yeah. I think can be a bit of a surprise for Americans because we tend to have this. We tend to not have a very concrete sense of like English people as a culture that lives in 2023 and more one that, you know, um, <laughs> uh, mysteriously has all of the accents in films set in ancient Rome or whatever, you know, uh, right. Yeah. Since every yeah. historical film, England, has have, England is perpetually in. Victorian yeah, to right. us both before England was a thing yeah, and yeah. even now. It's just, yeah. it's just how it is. But, uh, but yeah, but there's sort of, uh, and listen, I don't, I'm not, Speaking about, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know about the culture as a whole, but like, um, this is certainly a, a topic of internal conversation. Um, in England, um, there's this, uh, in the end, I think fairly noxious, but also kind of interesting, uh, contemporary novelist named V.S. Naipaul, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in like 2000 and one, 2000, 2001, I think 2001, um, who, uh, he's a, he's from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, but has, but lives in England, has lived in England for a long time. He wrote a, he wrote a, awful but revelatory novel about like um sort of problems some, some of these problems in in british culture uh this specific actually this specific type of problem and sort of whatever so this has been a long top of conversation for a long time um 
whether it's a specifically English problem, you know, I just don't know enough to say, but like, uh, certainly from those kinds of experiences and like the repu- the sort of reputation uh, that like tourist destinations on like the continent and stuff have about like co- right now contemporary English people, uh, it's not like a total shock. Now, that's those are broad pattern things, you know, and so that's that's not fair, you know, it's just, but I'm just saying like, that's what it is. It's kind of a broad cultural reception sort of pattern. Um, Mm -hmm. here, like, so I, so, you know, so I live in Vienna and, um, Vienna has a lot of really wonderful things about it. And one of the wonderful things about it is that it has a really super duper vibrant, um, cultural scene, um, in all of these things. So like theater and, uh, opera and, uh, you know, orchestral performances and these kinds of things. Um, so I take advantage of that as much as I can. Um, the... The, I would say the, the most I've seen is sort of like um, uh, it's relatively normal uh, levels of like kind of unrest and being kind of like rude to the people around you. Um, I'd say relatively normal. Um, the, things, the things I've experienced have actually been from uh, in two different theatrical performances, in two different theaters, uh, actually from from old ladies, um, from old Austrian ladies um, who I don't think fit into anybody's cultural pattern of like uh, audience members behaving badly. But um, uh, this is this is not a, like a, a, a matter of grave consequence, but I wanted to tell the story anyway because it was hilarious. I was... <laughs> I was at a performance of a basically a two person play, like a, a contemporary two person play um, called um, "Together." Alzheimer's is uh, Alzheimer's is better together. Um, it's, it's about a it's about a, a couple, a husband wife couple who uh, who are like in the end stages of Alzheimer in a Alzheimer's in a in a nursing home together. Uh, it's actually it was oh, a, it was a marvelous play, like really really marvelous and really beautifully played. Um, and uh but you know so it's about these these two very elderly people uh who have alzheimer's and like are not hearing or perceiving the world right and it was just hilarious because there were these two old ladies who were sitting directly behind me who kept screaming the whole time things like are they supposed to be in the bathroom can you hear them i can't hear them Why <laughs> oh god it was amazing i thought at first i was angry about it but then i thought well I guess this is their play more than it is my play. So I just yeah, have this to accept the- this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. That's such a dark, but like kind of empathetic day. You're just like, you know, you kind of got to kind of got to roll with it. It's like, well, I'm kind of the interloper here, not them. <laughs> oh, God. But you haven't seen, it doesn't sound like, the kinds of stuff I've been seeing in in the news a lot. And thank God I haven't experienced any of this myself. Because my, you know, my experience of, of theater has always been both really, really positive and, and kind of abundantly reverent, right? Like, even as a kid, going to church was like a reverent thing to do but like my parents would let me choose like one stuffed animal to bring with me to mass right and and to kind of both get me through it and to give me some kind of emotional connection to it um that was never going to happen if i went to the ballet or to like a big play or something that w- that was sort of ultra formal hmm. and i loved it because of that you know and and i've seen some quote unquote 
you know, annoying behavior, people eating snacks too loud or different things like that. Um, but even at movie theaters, right, which are mostly trash, they're, they're now they're not in any way, shape or form comparable to, you know, theatrical playhouses as they, you know, once were and sort of the, the heyday of, of cinema. Um, I've never really seen like a fight break out or anything. You know, I'll see rowdier behavior in terms of people, you know, cheering when the hero punches the villain in the face and things like that. But that's on a certain level charming. I've never seen anything like the kinds of stories that I've been observing since kind of the the end of the lockdowns with with theater resurging uh, one of the big uk ones that that happened most recently um, at time of recording anyway was that a a absolutely massive fight like a physical altercation um, between several rows of audience members <laughs> oh, no <laughs> happened in um i guess manchester Okay. England during a touring performance of the musical adaptation. I can't believe what I'm saying of the musical adaptation of the '80s rom- romantic movie *The Bodyguard*. So I guess they've yes. done a this version the of the bodyguard thing that I would expect to get people's temperatures rising. Yes. Yeah. So you're you're saying you would be so angry with the show that you would punch people? It seems like people were <laughs> punching each other. I guess because. Others were singing along with the music too loudly. Okay. Um, so so the response was, you're behaving really badly in theater uh, by singing along with this musical. I'm going to respond a hundred times worse by, by punching uh, you. becoming physically violent with you. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I and mean, specifically, okay. this occurred during the climactic uh, number, I Will Always Love You. Oh, I guess no. this musical uses a lot of Whitney Houston. We've we've talked a lot a weird amount of juke about jukebox musicals lately. Mm-hmm. I think I was yeah, the first it's a weird it's a weird theme here. Yeah, it's like don't yeah, don't bring up Twilight, otherwise that's going to be like another. We're going to conjoin. We're going to cross the streams of weird things. I would I would kill for a jukebox musical of Twilight. I hope it's in development. Would that you Would, would you amazing. sell your family to the devil for a jukebox musical of Twilight full of Turkish light? <laughs> full of turkish de- so is turkish delight playing the characters yeah, i'm not this? sure i'm not sure that's i'm just listen, like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna write, I'm not gonna write the whole play for you okay focus yeah i'm not gonna write i'm not gonna I do all do, the work for i you. could deal with sort of vegetized veggie style anthropomorphized turkish delight bopping around and playing the characters of twilight i, I think that's that. that's yeah. just that's just sort of uh magic mushroom enabled for me to to uh, you know imagine selling my family for um also in the UK, uh, there was there was kind of these conversations that I was reading about happening between several different theaters, uh, part of the Ambassador Theater Group uh, across the UK. I think they're the largest um, theater operating company in the United Kingdom. Um, just having discussions actually with their advertising companies to try to change the wording so as to not imply to people that they wanted interactivity in these shows because even without the physical violence component which is obviously you know the worst part 
People are dancing during shows. People are singing during shows. People are, you know, rooting for the characters very loudly during shows. And so they're, they're putting a lot of work into changing the kind of advertising bylines of things to take away wording like best party in town or this music will, you know, this musical will have you dancing in the aisles, right? You know, these sorts of phrases are very clearly to me anyway, hyperbole, right? They're, they're talking about conveying an emotion that you'll be wanting to dance in the aisles, not that you are being invited to do so. Mm. Um, yeah. But and they, then, yeah. Oh, no, you go ahead. I you see, go ahead. like, I don't know. I mean, it, so it's interesting. Like I, um, you know, you look into, you like look into these events and like, um, particularly this thing with like the bodyguard and like, <laughs> fights and like this it's like obviously this there's a lot about this is like great crass and very gross you know like something something there are some many things are wrong here you know that are contributing to all of this and that's and that's bad but like um i don't know it's like it's interesting because in thinking about this and i was looking, looking up different stories and stuff i found myself also like having a bit of a hard time like being sympathetic um to like concerns about this in a for a number for a number of reasons oh and, interesting like, yeah um and like this is a little bit i just kind of want to think through this you know not just right now but through as we're talking today you know because like um Oh, so part of it, there's like a, there, there are genre problems that I think are frankly understandable here. So like, these are such theater, like theater, like, you know, Broadway West End, like theater advertising cliches, you know, like best party uh -huh. in town, dancing in the aisles, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. Um, that like, I mean, I get it. Like it's best party in town now that seems to be pretty clearly analogous speech because it's not actually a party in any sense um dancing <laughs> in the aisles is not actually analogous speech like that's a thing that's fully physically possible too and like seems like it's a like you hear that often enough I, I don't know i mean it just doesn't seem completely crazy to me um that like uh you say like yeah the music is so hot and you'll be dancing in the aisles then you get up and you want to dance in the aisles and it's like you jumped by a bodyguard you know um i uh, so that seems a little bit weird to me um and I, and i'm like i'm glad that there's been like a conversation about this with uh among like advertising groups that like huh maybe there is a certain people amount of, are being really literal yeah maybe we are saying. like actually creating environment an environment that enables like we're contributing to creating an environment that enables this kind of behavior um mm -hmm. again like i'm not at all interested in identifying like one single cause you know but i'm just saying like what are what are things that we can point to that feed into this and i do think so like so partly this is a genre problem like with the way that communication is working here um if we don't actually mean it we shouldn't be saying it you know um uh in part because like people may not have gone to a show before or may not go very often and so there is a real sense of like well i guess i'm going to be told what i can be expected to do here in a certain sense you know um mm -hmm. i think part of the reason so i just wanted to like, put that out there um I, uh, I think part of the reason I'm having the hardest time, like finding this naturally sympathetic, um, even though, like, if I imagine, you know, this, I've read, you know, read some of these stories and stuff, and I imagine, like, if I was in an opera or if I was in a, um, 
you know, a stage production or something and people were acting like this, like I, you know, I would not be, I would, I would not be a happy camper. Right. Um, uh, I think part of the reason why I'm finding it unsympathetic is that, um, is because like the most extreme and recent example that, that we know of the one that you just talked about is from this nightmare debacle of a of a uh right. <laughs> of a jukebox musical of a 1980s whitney houston movie that never needed to be re- remade into any form by anyone ever um and so like i feel that the thing itself is so intensely insanely unserious that you're like stealing people's money um by proposing this to them as something that will be worth them spending i don't know 100 150 dollars um to see live and then when at the very best the very best the thing that's going to be is just like um a live performance of songs that you could hear on a movie for a dollar um so and i just I like hear- I, so I, I find this i think i find this and I, so I'm fully recognizing that like there are some things about this that, that's dishonest or not totally consistent with me because I would be really angry if this happened in something that I was at and liked. Um, but like this just seems sort of it's like, well, actually, if you're putting on a stage production of The Bodyguard, like actually, I kind of feel like within the limits of physical violence, you know, like yeah, I kind of feel like you deserve whatever you get. Because <laughs> you're the one who did the first yeah, wrong I thing, mean... which was steal all these people's money. <laughs> Well, and then the second wrong thing was singing along with it. And then the third wrong thing is people then punching the people who sang along with it. So yeah. it's just a series of everybody right. saying, feeling of bad, well, like they bad did things the first cause bad things. Yeah. Sort of an Adam and Eve, like, well, it's not my fault because she gave me the apple, sort of a the passing the buck kind of a thing. Yeah. And look, I, I would be so, you know, we're both snobs and my heart always sort of is, is torn when things like that happen because i do think shows like i'll be honest i mean as as sort of hippy dippy as i am compared to you i do think shows like the bodyguard or rocky the musical or you know a lot of these kinds of adaptations are artistically bankrupt right i mean from a from a production side but the reason i'm torn is because they're really talented artists who just out of a need to survive and like make money and eat become a part of these productions, whether it's, you know, I mean, just in the two examples I I threw out there, you know, the, the capacity one has to have as a singer and a performer to, to pull off, you know, Whitney Houston music twice a day, seven days a week, you know, in a, in a show like that while emoting, that's, that's no slouch of, of a performer. You know, that's an incredibly talented group of people. And, and something is even something as silly as Rocky, the musical that I can't even say with a straight face has some of the most ground breaking choreography of the last 20 years on any Broadway show, the way that the, you know, the choreographer came in, he's, he's pretty, I don't remember his name right now, which is, which is bad, but, um, but my wife would because of her dance background and, you know, the way he studied, you know, boxing and pulled it together with the dance and they brought the ring out into the center of the, the audience that kind of floats out over. I mean, it's just like, there's some real, and like King Kong, the musical is another great example of this. Why would you want King Kong to be a musical? But, there's like a 
giant three-story puppet that's entirely you know pulled around by i think like nine or or ten different puppeteers each controlling a different part it's not animatronic at all it's like all being held by actual puppeteers like i'm i'm kong's left hand i'm kong's right hand like these are really amazing performers so as creatively bankrupt as i find this sort of concept or conceit of these shows my heart also breaks for all of the talent and the real artists whose effort and blood and sweat and tears and time away from their families are then undermined by the dumbass in row four beating the crap out of the dumbass in in row five you know like that even if i disagree with the existence of the show that sucks right yeah no i mean that's that's obviously for sure um now of course from the artist side it's also i mean there is also humiliation involved in this i mean like i uh uh, I got to know just a little bit of, um, see a, a trumpeter. Anyway, a guy who plays brass, um, uh, who plays brass for like, um, all the Broadway shows that come through Chicago. Uh, and, and I was, and I was talking to them a little about it. Uh, and I just said like, I mean, that's cool. I mean, great. That's awesome, dude. Like, that's really cool. You do that. But like, I'm assuming mostly this is more painful than it is enjoyable. Right. And he's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, uh, cause they, you and know, I they have get- friends who've been in cats, right. Both on Broadway and then, you know, choreographed regional productions who are like, and there's the response of either the copium where you convince yourself that this is really amazing and totally worth being a part of. And then there's the people who are like, yeah, it sucks. Like it's a paying gig, but I'm going to put my best self into yeah, it. Which is all right? great. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's actually something really important. Like, I, I hope that's a consistent theme that we come to, which is like, I mean, when you're in the thing, your obligation is to do the thing as best as you possibly can, you know? So like there's real beauty. That's good for those people. That's all, that's all great. And I'm, and I'm totally with you. Bad, bad behavior isn't, is bad behavior period. You know, um, that's just because like, these shows don't deserve to be made and shouldn't be made. Like that doesn't necessarily give you the right to act badly. I mean, it doesn't give you the right to do things that are wrong, period. Um, sure. The question is just like, where is the limit said here? The, said the priest. Yeah, said the priest, right? I mean, so I just say like, you know, you can like evil deeds are always evil deeds, but like, um, but you have, you have an easier time empathizing with some evil deeds yeah, over others, well, depending I mean, on the like, theatrical context. That's exactly right. And like, so prescinding, you know, prescinding from the, um, uh, from the f- actual physical fighting, um, you know, sort of like go into a go into a bodyguard performance, like pretty hopped up uh, on the hooch, and then like getting bored halfway through. And of course, I'm narrating a story of my own here because I don't know what these people's situations were, but like uh, getting bored, unbelievably bored halfway through, completely losing losing patience with it, and just crowing along in the most awful kind of way like that's that's not good because like it's because of how disrespectful it is for other people but like there's a level to which you go Mm. there's a level to which you go if i were the confessor for the person who like shows up in my church after the show and they're going like oh i did this terrible thing i punched somebody out of the bodyguard you'd be like well that was wrong but I empathize. But you were at the bodyguard. And actually, I think you did. So you right. confessed two things. So you punched somebody out and you went to the bodyguard. Um, so. so so with that in mind, let me propose to you two examples of this phenomenon stateside that might be more appalling to your and my, I will own it, snobbish 
predications or predilections. So, um, recently within the last like six months or so, there was a production of, um, death of a salesman, which I don't know how you feel about it. I think it's, you know, one of the all time kind of great American plays. I, I love death of a salesman. It will that, not, that it will not surprise hap- you to know that, uh, that I despise death of a salesman. Um, oh, not, as much, okay. not as much as I despise the crucible, but, um, I find Arthur, Arthur Miller to be a, a liar and a fraud. So, um, so there it is. You you don't have a chill opinion about literally anything. There is nothing That's that not you're true. like. Oh, yeah. I give chill opinions sometimes. Um, but, no, you uh, don't. but Arthur Miller you, is a, the, Arthur Miller's a liar. I challenge you, audience. Listen back to all whatever number of episodes we have at this point. If you can find one example of Father Gabriel giving a chill yeah that's cool that's fine yeah that's all I don't right really feel strongly I, I really about like it, it opinion like, whatever on any one thing i will send you free pod- podcast swag i i yeah, mean we'll do that it. personally we'll do it. because we'll do it. that just i don't think that's ever happened in your whole life but even if you disagree or dislike personally the aesthetics of arthur miller um or the tools he uses rhetorically um i mean you can't deny it is a a a classic play right it, the bodyguard it is not um and there's recently right, right. it's been, not it's uh, not indignity it's not indignity to, to theater to perform right Death yeah the so there was like. a revival of this um on broadway i'm forgetting what theater it was now um let me see if i can find that not that it matters but i like to be i like to be clever i like to know what i'm talking about the hudson theater Okay, there we oh, go. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. this production at the Hudson Theater. Um, and notably, this was a predominantly black production, which is, you know, different than it's been for the majority of the times that it's been performed. And um, specifically, one of my favorite actors, Wendell Pierce, was was playing the, the protagonist role of Willie Loman. He's really amazing, uh, classically trained actor. Um, and he was put in the absolutely horrifying position as an actor where he himself had to diffuse a violent first emotionally and then physically altercation in like the second or third row um basically somewhere around like the beginning of the show these people start talking really loudly and then they start yelling at each other and they start yelling at the play itself and sort of trying to interact with the characters. Um, and then eventually uh, it did sort of become kind of a mini riot. And, and the, uh, the, the people who started this were actually arrested in the middle of the play, but it was so kind of intense and, and impossible to ignore Um and and everybody, one of the big questions that I mean we can't get around is like where the heck were the ushers in this situation, or where the heck was theater security in this situation? But f- for whatever reason, and because of whoever's failures, Wendell Pierce, as the protagonist of the, show, of the show, has to break character and try to kind of therapize them off the cliff, right? And, and he's saying things to them like very very paternal kind of loving appeals like hold on talk to me i'll make a deal with you i'm gonna ask them to let you stay you know you will not be kicked out if you can just calm down i'm gonna ask them to let you stay i'll pull some strings so he's trying to kind of negotiate with them and then it becomes kind of a much more emotionally charged uh personal kind of vulnerable plea to them where he's saying 
No, no, I've waited too long for this. I've waited too long to play a role like this in my career. Don't take this from me. You've waited too long for this. Um, you know, don't take this from yourself, right? So he starts making this really vulnerable artistic appeal to them, all of which is ignored. And it's the videos. I mean, so many people, since we're living in the age of TikTok and YouTube and everything, so many people caught different angles of this. And it's really heartbreaking to watch him try to appeal to these people having, you know, again, in contrast to the bodyguard, the musical, a very traditional theatrical experience and just ruining it for everyone, including the cast. Um, and then juxtapose that with one that happened very, very recently to the time of recording. <laughs> and, you know, if you have kids in the car, maybe skip five minutes forward for this mm. one. But um, the I think it's the L.A. Philharmonic at the at the Walt Disney Theater in Los Angeles um, was doing a performance at which point. A woman in the audience had, and I quote the article here when I say this, a full body orgasm, a full body screaming orgasm during <laughs> during the kind of musical crescendo of the Philharmonic performance. Um, in this case, the performers did not stop playing. They sort of bemusedly considered a compliment and tried to just move past it. Uh but like both of those things are completely insane. They are stateside. They are in the context of much more kind of traditional or stereotypically highfalutin or, or, or even snobbish expressions of theatrical experience. Um, and, and yet they are completely batshit. I mean, I've just never heard of anything like that at all. Yeah. I mean, obviously that, like completely it's just be like kind of beyond uh out of control regardless but like um i am gonna say i'm just assuming in the latter case that ecstasy was involved uh and a <laughs> let's just say a a non-naturally produced because <laughs> i just you know i'm a classical music fan but that's just not actually a physical response that's possible i'm just gonna tell you right now um but um, yeah, we talk a lot about being moved by beauty yeah, on this podcast. Don't, don't be and, moved like this. If you feel like you're going to be moved yeah. like that, um, stay home. Probably see a doctor. Yeah, actually, home. probably see Check, a doctor. Like step out and use the restroom for a minute, for God's sake. Yeah, like probably, what is happening? There's something wrong here. It, it's, it's, it's extra wild because like um, classical performances can be like so formal that even I can feel sort of confused about it sometimes because like. I mean, literally, I was at a I was at a per, uh, a piano performance um, a couple months ago, and like, you know, this old lady. Uh, it's not it's not always old ladies, but just happened to be old ladies in these stories. Uh, this old lady, like down the way, um, had a slight cough. I mean, it was the wind. It was the end of the winter, and like she had a slight dry cough. Um, and so every I don't know ten minutes or so, she would kind of like give a little, <coughs> you know, like an old lady dry cough. <laughs> and like there's this guy who's sitting up in front of me who who would like whip around and give her this death glare for like a minute after she coughed which of course she couldn't see so just as well but like anyway so this is like this is thing that i mean you're supposed to be so completely quiet and 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 everything that like and then this woman shows up and has such an intense screaming uh physical experience mm -hmm. that everybody 
doesn't look at her, they just politely stare straight ahead and try to get through it because no one knows what to do. Yeah, because everyone's a little bit, a little bit, a lot uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, it's funny. Like, I... I mean, I think another aspect of kind of what's going into how I feel like I don't really know how to respond to these things or the think thinking about it, you know, is that um, just knowing that uh, theater going, concert going, all that kind of stuff, like having it be like a formal, everyone sits in the, in an assigned seat and um, that uh, you know, you don't make any noise and you're not even supposed to cough or whatever. Like, um, you know, this is a more modern, like this is a more recent development, you know, I mean, like, uh, and like the globe of course is a classic kind of example of what that looked like in the, in the 16th and the 17th century, you know, is just that like this, this would be a pretty rowdy place, you know, I mean, people, the wealthier people would have um, seats and then the wealthiest people would have kind of more or less box seats. But you might also be having sex in your box seats um, uh, or something pretty close to it, um, which are like, it's a small theater. Everything's like, it's all in the round, right? That's the whole point. Like everything's up on everybody's business, you know, but so there's just like not there was a certain 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 different sense um of how that goes uh, a different example that i know more about um of course from a different culture but um would be kabuki theater you know um i kabuki especially by the like 17th and 18th century is the super duper 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 lowbrow um it's your kind of like yeah it's your super duper lowbrow um form of entertainment for um just like urban dwellers in in mm-hmm. especially in 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 what's now tokyo uh in like the 18th century say uh it's unbelievably cheap like all the performances are unbelievably cheap um there are aspects of it that are like literally hard to imagine i mean like there's there's there are kabuki plays that go on for more than 12 hours like they're, oh my gosh. they're essentially performed kind of like in shifts, but like kind of just rotating and just going on. They'll go on for several days, you know, and like you buy a ticket for one thing and you're kind of gumming and going and you're eating and everyone's drunk, including the actors. And there's a lot of like, Kabuki was like very interactive by its nature. That's what's like a really important part of it was that you would like, it was expected that you would expected but presumably this is expected because it was just like a a fact that you couldn't get around like that the that the audience would be screaming at the characters um Mm -hmm. and at their favorite actors and these kinds of things and that the actors were uh expected slash it was just accepted and so this became its its own thing that the actors would be yelling back at them mostly in character but not necessarily um they were this you know developed all these things where like it it completely changes the shape of the plays even so like um they end up creating this theatrical there's so much audience interaction um i mean they're throwing crap on the stage they're throwing people they're throwing things at people i mean literal crap uh rotten things i mean these are everything you could imagine right um right uh, yeah and they're getting it back as well of course um and then it becomes like the audience interaction becomes such a big thing that like they actually 
they'll put like thrusts out into the audience, you know, um, which you're sort of imagining this seems like crazy, but like, but again, that you're not necessarily having seats. You might just have people be milling around, you know, but you'll put like a thrust out into the audience. Um, and then like in really big scenes, like either the, usually the hero, but sometimes the villain would like, he would perform his theme, his scene, and then he would run out onto the thrust, which is literally a runway. He would run out onto the runway and just like pose, you know, just like, <laughs> people would like throw things at him and he would be like posing and he, he would be like but, like Arnold Schwarzenegger feels very, like this feels very like uh uh world federation wrestling meets oh it is it meets, is it is the yeah. theater of world of 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 WTFWTF. that's exactly right that's exactly right that's that's probably the best actually that's probably the, the best analogy for it like WWF only it was trying actually to be theater and not theater trying actually to be wrestling like um it's uh so it's so it was just like this you know um of course in the meantime the couple has basically died now it's this kind of like high class art form that like you know simply sc- because it's old and schools old things go are to, classy yeah. yeah i mean of course it's not even that old i mean it's not quite as old as shakespeare but like um in this form but like uh but regardless i mean it's cool these plays are awesome they're really fun to read and like they're cool this i got to see, i got to a go to a couple of key performance once and it was really great. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but now it's like, it's basically a dead art form. He's kind of stare, he's kind of fossilized, you know, so like school groups go to it, and, but there it is, you know? Um, and um, I, but like I had a friend who was super duper duper into couple key and like, memorized because some, some of them, it had become formalized, formalized enough that they're where they were like, set things that the audience should like yell at certain moments and then the people would say these things back and it would kind of provoke things you know so almost like the audience's own own lines of dialogue um and like and so my friend went to these one of, the, one of these copy performances this would have been in the in like the mid 2000s uh and at the right moment yelled the right thing for the audience oh nice and everyone froze and that's wild because that wasn't because that is not how it's done anymore and right. like it was not cool like all the japanese so people are like funny i'm not here you know as if you just had an explosive personal experience uh in the seat <laughs> next to them you know um so like there is some of this i mean like um I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like that's a loss. Now, Kabuki was its, really its own particular thing. There isn't really a theater that's really its own particular kind of theatrical form. I'm not trying to say every kind of theater should be like that. Um, even in Japan at the time, you know, there were other forms of theater that were not like that, you know? Um, sure. But yeah. I do think that and to some extent, there's a little like, and you know, your analogy, your point at the beginning, I think was really interesting that like, yeah, to church you could bring a you could bring like a little stuffed animal, but but if you went to a concert, like oh, absolutely not, you know, like that. I don't know, like I do, I do really prize, especially at classical music, where like if you have a fine ear, which I don't, but like I I appreciate that there are people who have finer ears than I do, um, and I want to really respect that, um, and I want to I want to respect and enable. I want my own presence there to re- to be present to the thing as much as I possibly can to receive everything I possibly can. And I want that to be available in such a way that it enables or at least doesn't hinder um, other people who are better at experiencing this than I am from experiencing it in the way that they're able to. Like, I think that's really important and really deep. Um, 
and at the same time, and I know these don't go together, but like, and at the same time, uh, there does seem to be a certain amount of over-formalization. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting take, right, that that maybe, I mean, I do think once you're getting, okay, so the the part of me that wants that wants theater to stay this very sacred space you know is horrified by violence breaking out during the bodyguard or a a you know principal member of the cast of death of a salesman having to talk to the audience like talk them off the ledge i mean you know the part of me that you know that empathizes with those performers the part of me that that wants selfishly for theater to to be this sacred space you know cringes at that but i'm also not dumb to the kinds of examples you're bringing up i mean i wasn't aware so much of kabuki but um i know that in like bollywood cinema historically at least maybe not quite as much now but but historically you know these were very interactive you know cinema screenings right people throwing things at the screen and and so much so that you know certain american or or british western filmmakers have been inspired by it i mean most notably Baz lerman you know created moulin rouge because he wanted to see if you could incite those same kinds of responses oh, really? in a Western audience. Oh, funny. Yeah, right. Cool. Like he, cause he sat, he took his whole cast to go see like a four hour Bollywood thing in, in India. And, and he was like, I want to make something like that. I want to see if I can provoke that kind of response, you know? So there's that. And there's also, like, I have this very sort of like core memory from being a kid of watching this HBO documentary about the composer Rossini the guy who did uh barbara seville oh yeah and and um how like i guess at this time people if they didn't like operas would just get an angry mob together and go kill the composer like this was just Mm. like a very common thing to like burn down his house yeah and so he like like that's a bad move yeah so like in the documentary he he is depicted as running back to his home to hide and then we see this angry mob coming to his house after you know barbara seville has just opened and he's terrified he's like i've got to flee they're going to burn down my house and it turns there turns out this angry mob of people with actual torches are just there to tell him they really really liked it oh it's a happy mob um, see nobody ever hears right. about happy mobs but no this one is a hears happy about mob. happy mobs so so that's sort of a core memory of like this guy being afraid he's gonna die and then we're like oh no we, we're just here to tell you we like it no 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 worries man so what's, your next piece on, what's the next piece that you're working on what do you say you're working on right now how do you get your ideas <laughs> so like legitimately i know that there there are spaces in theatrical experience where this kind of thing has been commonplace in the east in the west in kind of high level stuff like 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 opera in low level stuff like kabuki and yet there is this part of me that's incredibly sad when i see wendell pierce like trying to calm down an audience member and and I, I don't know like is are as is the common narrative audiences worse post pandemic are we more selfish as a society where we are going to theater and instead of saying i am here for this 
we're saying we're going in with a posture of this is here for me mm, right this yeah. is fundamentally about my experience and my experience first and foremost are we becoming more selfish are we becoming more sort of insulated as the result of kind of lockdown and and phones and all this stuff where where i don't know how to act in a space you know with that many people all kind of behaving formally you know I mean, certainly, you know, as Catholics, we could even we could even project that in a sort of post-religious society where people don't have the experience of church as a formal cultural touchstone for everybody to kind of go back to that, that, of course, no one would know how to act in theater. Right. So is it that is it that we're getting worse or per the examples that you and I are bringing up from kind of times gone by? Are we going back to normal? Are we kind of responding to theater again the way people always sort of have? And if we are, then what should the response of of artists, you know, actors, composers, set designers, puppeteers, all the kind of people who this podcast is for, all the kind of people that we like to hang with, what what's their response supposed to be if if theater is no longer the formal thing that that they kind of signed up for? I mean, these are kind of existential questions to be asking about humanity and about the nature of art and stuff, all being stemmed by, you know, riots breaking out in in random jukebox musicals. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there's certainly part of it, too. It's just like, I mean, we hear about these things and they're and they're sensational and they make a lot of news. Partly we hear about them and they make a lot of news because we have all these techniques to hear about them now. So, like, I mean, you know because there's the tiktokings and there's the and there's the booking of faces and there's you know there's all these things right um and i don't know why i heard you say then sort of a bill cosby voice just like there's the tiktokings and, and the, the facebookings and the booking of faces and, and, the, and the quaaludes in the pudding pop and the, it's the quaaludes in the pudding exactly this is my point um <laughs> the um so so part certainly part of which we just we hear we hear about these things more um, where I would never have heard about uh, a disrupted theater performance in LA until a couple of years ago, right? Um, yeah, unless point. I was living in LA. Um, so partly there's that. Now, you know, some of these articles from the from the like English, specifically just from the English theaters, were the, were the ones that I where I saw this talked about explicitly, where the you had these theater managers and saying like saying like you know this is the worst it's been in like five years like it's, it's that they, having a sense that this seems to be getting worse um and they would know so you know so i respect that and i'm not i'm not trying to gain say that um in like our experience as, as you say like you say we say well i've never seen this and you've never seen this like well i wouldn't expect to right because like we're just like dealing with sure. two 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 anecdotal experiences and that means that like of the hundreds of thousands of theatrical performances that have gone on in let's just say like you know america and and the continental u.s oh god you know continental europe in in like the last year uh this very small number of things didn't happen in a theater that we were in this is not totally surprising you know um right uh but like so yeah so just to say like okay well you know it's I, I I don't know uh, where it's like crisis and stuff like this. I get to, I can can be a little bit allergic about, um, but that's probably just a just prejudicial prejudicial. Um, but uh, but at the same time, I mean, like I do recognize some of these some of these things, right? Like it it makes sense. Um, I mean, there's certain there is also a certain socioeconomic thing here. Like 
um, like Broadway and West End shows were like really, they were really, really expensive, you know. And and if you're not living in New York, like you you come you come to visit, like everyone has this kind of expectation that like maybe I don't like theater, I've never gone to theater or anything like this, but like I'm in New York, so I have to. And then you spend like I don't know, one hundred fifty dollars per ticket, and like uh, and I. Uh, that too can kind of contribute to, I mean, first thing, you, you really don't know how to act there. Uh, and then, and then like, there's the I'm on vacation sort of like um, Vegas rules And I've paid situation. a lot for this, so and I'm And I've owed. paid a lot for this. So like, I think this is- Which is interesting because, because, I mean, you know, juxtapose that to your Kuba Cube example or the Bollywood example I proposed, right? Or the Globe Theater example. Our justification for that pretty consistently is like- Oh well, these are incredibly cheap to access yeah. art forms. Yeah. So of course people are going to behave badly. And now our argument is sort it's of the inverse. The where it's like, it's like well, these are incredibly like expensive. So, so of expensive. course rich people are going to act like trash. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe like theater for poorer people is actually still doing okay. Well, maybe there's a Who weird. Knows? Yeah, but again, I'm not. Part of the problem is I'm not saying that these are rich people. I'm saying that the people that came, people who came to New York on a trip, you know. Uh, oh, sure, okay. And, like, right. and it's like there's this big cultural thing. Like, well, I have to go see, you know, I have to go see like a um, you tourist know, theater, a tourist yeah. tourist theater, you know. Um, and again, like I'm not, I I'm not reducing anything to like any one of these causes. I'm just saying like here are some things that are interesting that are certainly at play here. You know, yeah, these um, are factors that we would be stupid to ignore as contributing. Right. Um, but I like the way you put it. They say, like, rather than however you put it, like, like, I want to be here for this, but like this, this is here for me. You know, when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about these kind of some of these cultural, social, economic kind of things that are at play here in specifically in like Broadway and West End, maybe um, I was thinking about like um, <laughs> I had this personal I had this. I had this moment of realization, like this, this like wow moment, where I realized um, one can summarize like the Chicago theory of driving um, in three words: "It's my turn." Oh yeah, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, sure. It's just like it doesn't matter what it is. Like it's my turn. It doesn't matter. Just. How people how people change lanes, how people get off of exits, get onto exits, everything that every driving move, like the one guiding principle is it's my turn. Whatever that means, however dangerous it is. Selfishness rooted in a like sense of justice that only favors you. Exactly. And I do so I was thinking about it in this context because um, and I'm not even remotely saying there's any shared causality, but but like I recognize that move in what's happening, particularly the example of um I the sort of drunk lady and her husband uh who were involved in the in the death of a salesman performance, like um just reading some at least according to some audience narrations of what had happened, however trustworthy they may or may not be. Um, it really sounded like that. Uh, where it's exactly that combination of kind of like um, uh, sort of this radical social solipsism, uh, very strong sense of of entitlement, strong commitment to like um, uh, 
but then also combined with, and this is the thing that, that gets me every time, combined with exactly the way you put it, this sense of justice that only applies to me, you know? So like, yeah, I am yeah, owed or only this. favors me. Oh, yeah, excuse me, yeah, yeah. only favor, obliges everyone, but only favors me. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, that is, yeah, yeah, and this is, a re- that's a really, that's a really toxic thing, you know, like I, I, there, there are modes of theater and like engagement with with cultural productions where I would be pretty happy if things, if you had spaces and, and modalities that could be pretty crazy. I'm not saying like it's an experimental theater, guys. Everybody here and like go ahead and bring your tomatoes. You know, and that's too. It's too. It's too like cute. You know, it's too. It's too right. You know, like it's gimmicky. Gimmicky. You know, but uh, but if those things kind of organically developed in certain theatrical spaces and and like modalities of of writing theater and then like in, in doing theater and stuff, like well, okay, those things happen, and, and I wouldn't be against that. You know, um, but I, uh, but there's certainly no. I mean, there's no going back. I mean, you have this like very, you have these like sort of formalized theaters, even just the physical spaces of the theaters and these kinds of things. I mean, like you can't, um, you can't turn that space into a space where people are like roaming around and being kind of rowdy and dancing in the aisles, you know? So like, what well, but I do? guess that's what I'm existentially asking. Like I want, I want the answer to be as simple as these kind of producers are making it out to be that, yeah, for whatever reason, and maybe the sort of buzzwordy pandemic, you know, that we can blame everything on has has caused a kind of radical selfishness and a lack of knowing how to behave. And even this other factor that we've talked about, you know, revenge tourism, right, where it's like I was shut down for a while. So oh. now you can't stop me from booking this trip or you can't stop me from doing this play like no one's ever going to keep me locked in ever again. So I'm going right. to So like I would love for the answer to be as simple as that, because then in in theory, people could sort of be to use a problematic term kind of re-civilized to understand how to engage with art again. But there is this little nagging voice in the back of my head that says, no, like, you know of enough examples, whether it's the Kabuki or whether it's Rossini or whether it's the Globe or whatever, that says this is kind of how people historically in a lot of contexts respond to art. And maybe for the past couple of decades, we've all mutually and silently agreed to participate in a pantomime where we all act like we're better than that. And now we're seeing that that charade fall apart and we can't put it back together. And maybe this is like where things are going and maybe artists and actors and and everybody else have to kind of get used to, to that world and swallow that pill. And I don't want that to be true. But again, that there is a little nagging voice that says that it might be, it could be. I mean, I would, I would, I feel like I would need a lot more. I would feel like I would need a lot more examples, a lot more widespread um, even if mm-hmm. just in a single country, uh, before I would believe that this is actually like um, that these are the first pebbles of an avalanche that that changes the the landscape, you know. Um, right now, this just sounds like this just sounds like scattered bad behavior, to be honest. Um, it, that even even if it is more scattered bad behavior than it's been before, 
it still seems like scattered bad behavior to me. Um, mm. But I could be wrong. You know, again, like if if this if this does actually sort of pick up steam and it does turn, in fact turn out to be the first pebbles of a landslide or an avalanche, then well, then there we go. And then then we then we think about. It I guess what I'm concerned about as a as a creative person, you know, you were saying before, maybe some of these things were happening. And it's just that we're more aware of it now. And then you offset that by saying, but of course the producers and those who would know are saying that it is actually worse. I guess my concern is because you and I are more aware of it now, does that then inspire more kind of copycat behavior like that where people yeah, think that's always, that's always this the is trouble, okay, yeah. or this will be a good way of getting, you know, some buzz around me for, you know, my five minutes of fame or whatever. And it does, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's the, you know, what's the takeaway for anybody who's appreciating art? I would hope that obviously it's don't be an asshole, like go in and, and with a posture of I'm, I'm here for this, not this is here for me and try to bring yourself to it in kind of a reverent way and, and honor all the work and the time and the, the blood and the sweat and the tears that, that all of the various brilliantly talented creative people have put into this, whether it's an objectively good show or not. But I do think the answer for what do we do as artists on on the creative side, on the backstage side, I think that answer is harder. Do you get used to this and just continue to perform through it? Do you do what Wendell Pierce did and say, I'm stopping the show, I'm breaking character, I'm calling this out? You know, do you shut the show down? to protect your your cast and they all leave until the dispute has broken down like what is what is the creative's posture to the possibility that this is actually getting worse or could right 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 yeah yeah i mean it's funny because at, at this point it still seems mostly the, the bodyguard example was different they had to shut the thing down because there was a certain amount of chaos um but some of these other examples uh <laughs> You know, um, like I was at a, I was at a uh, play once in DC where um, uh, from the Shakespeare Company, which is really the Shakespeare Theater Company, which was really great. Um, is a performance of Julius Caesar, and like in the middle of, I mean, it was it was literally the absolutely worst time conceivably imaginable for an interruption to happen because it's like Brutus has Brutus has just murdered Caesar and he's like standing with spoilers dude oh dude bro sorry um someone has just done something bad to somebody (laughs) that's all I have to say um and he's like standing with his hands dripping blood like he's supposed to like soliloquize over um over his body you know and like he's just starting this and this giant fire alarm goes off and uh, which, of course, oh, is like God. this. Is, I mean, this is the stuff you practice, right? As an as an actor, but like, uh, it was cool to see because like he froze, and everyone freezes for like. I mean, there's only like one other person on the stage who's supposed to be alive, I think. Um, but um, it freeze for like maybe 15 seconds until it's, and then when it's clear that this is not a passing affair, um, everyone just straightens up. And they walk right off the stage. And it was this like super impressive, like very pro, just like, you know, like no awkwardness, no whatever. We're just like, now we're off, you know? Um, so like, obviously so maybe it matters. professional actors maybe. Like, know, know this already. And like these guys do too. I mean, it's super impressive that, um, uh, that Pierce was able to do this in this really, it's just highly, 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 I mean, it's compassionate, but it's also highly professional. Like he knows what he's doing and, you know, um, and that's all really great. Um, so 
so part of it is just well maybe maybe there's this increased intensity of like well i need to i need to kind of have strategies and plans for like how we maintain pro- like what does professionalism mean as an actor um right like actually have contentions like as a producer or director or whatever saying hey regardless of what you've done before like if something bad happens this is our response as a cast you know yeah these kinds of things that we do we're a cast that's going to call it out and break character versus we're a cast that's going to just pause and leave the stage like yeah yeah yeah. let's have something figured out beforehand so that actors don't have to figure it out in the moment i think that would be really cool and not and not like you know this doesn't have to be silly like a you know like a like what, what do they call them? Like an emergent, like, you know, an invader, like an invader response plan, you know, like every school is supposed to have or whatever. It's just like the Northmen are coming. The Northmen are coming. When, when, when you get word that the Northmen are at the gates, what do you do? No, but like, but yeah. I like that. I mean, I like that point that you made that like, is this the kind of show with the kind of cast where like, um, we're going to give as we're given and we're going to give back as, as we're given. Is this the kind of thing where we're going to break characters? Is the kind of thing where we, where we, drop the curtain is a good thing where you walk away like whatever 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 like i mean i think that's that's cool like it's an interesting way of thinking about it and maybe these things already exist you know i I just don't know but um uh that's interesting i do think that one because i was i was thinking about yeah so what can i do i mean there's there's different things that i think so there's different things for for the beholder because i think in the end this is this is there's certainly social and um, cultural problems that are uh, large and complicated and definitely, I think, I think really at play. I mean, I, 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 I do think that there was a, a general kind of crassification of the cultures that I have known um, in the, in the time following March, 2020, basically. Um, I just think that there was mm-hmm. a, there was a, a profound classification um, of uh, certainly of American culture and then and then a, but, a, but of others as well, uh, and I just don't think it's um, it makes any sense to ignore that. Like I think that's just that's there, you know, and we have to deal with it and and try to address it and learn to be able to grow out of it, you know, rather than just like kind of closing our eyes and hoping it goes away. So I think there's something of a what I would call a like there's a pressure to to learn how to behold so that's one thing but you think about an audience and like how you how you engage as an audience member and like how you do all these things so there's there's that's one thing is like learning how to behold which is really important mm-hmm. um uh and then as an as an as an artist whether you're the one writing or creating or producing the whole thing or just or or singing a part of it dancing a part of it acting a part of it whatever it might be um there is that strong sense of like, well, I would say I would say that there's a twofold thing here is that like I think I think there's a strong obligation on on beholders not to go to works of art just because they think they should. <laughs> that mm, includes whether like point. you know I'm in New York and like so I have to see a play or even this is a show I should see because it's a socially important play. Right. Yes. Yes. And it, and that includes like, you know, or like I'm in Vienna and I'm going to go to the opera because like, if you know, if you're in town and you're going to go to an opera, you know, like, but you don't like the opera right. or whatever, like, um, right. You know, don't go don't, to things because you think you should. Don't go to art. Yeah. Don't go to art out of duty or FOMO. Yeah. Just like, you know, go to the things that you want to go to. And like, if you, if you really don't like them, whatever, this doesn't contradict like my, basic impulse that people need to learn how to 
behold things that are difficult to behold. That's important, you know. But if you if you know you're not going to like it, you know you don't want it. You, you're not in a place where you want to be ready to receive this right now. Then don't. <laughs> you know, yeah. like like you know this this example of um the 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 ladies at uh, the lady at the uh, the death of a salesman um again like audience reports is like that this is a lady who is like very profoundly under the influence of one or several um mood altering substances you know and yeah. you think like i get like you know having have a couple glasses of wine or beer or whatever to like uh make the evening go smoother you know especially if you're not totally sure that the kind of thing is going to be your jam i totally get that but like, if this is a thing that you have to kind of anesthetize yourself to with like getting all hopped up and jazzed up on all kinds of things, then like, maybe just get hopped up at home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the that other option good. Would, would not be, would not be to get hopped up, but I'm just saying if, if that's, if that's going to no, happen. No, 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 I think we're just going to cut the episode at just get hopped up at home. I think that's as good a, a more, takeaway more, as we Moral lessons from Father Gabriel Toretta, OP, just get hopped up at home. Yeah, bad things aren't bad if they're in a bad show and just get hopped up at home. These, these are these are, these are the are lessons. Really yeah, these are these are these are the pull these quotes. Are these are the pull quotes for the episodes. Takes. Yeah, I'm here yeah. For you. but no, I I like some of these thoughts here, um, and I think it I think there's room to continue the discussion, and I hope the discussion will be continued because obviously this kind of stuff is at its worst when you ignore it or you pretend that it isn't a problem because that's how people get disrespected and hurt. So with that in mind, you know, if you're a creative, take care of your audiences, take care of your creatives. Don't take for granted that they're going to be honored and respected, right? On a, ultimately human dignity is more important than the aesthetics of your art and make sure that, that, you know, your people are, are cared for. And if you're an audience member, you know, don't be a schmuck. <laughs> Remember that people put real work into this wherever theater's going. We're not going to be worse off for remembering the dignity of the people around us. And I don't think we're going to be worse off for remembering that in whatever context or form art is not here for us. You know, we are here for art and we need to submit ourselves to it. But above all, with all this in mind, go forth and create cool things. This has been Created Things, a production of Art, Soul, and Mind, hosted by Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta, produced by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores Popcheck. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on this podcast and the artists featured, follow us on Instagram at Created Things Podcast and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. 